You're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to legislation at the Capitol designed to address voting in New York. And our guest is Susan Lerner, Executive Director of Common Cause New York. Welcome back to the show, Susan. Happy to be here. So I want to start with a bill you're backing that deals with the language on statewide ballot measures. Can you explain the changes you want to see and how these measures uh, are, are written in the future? Well, first off, what we want is for voters to be able to understand what they're being asked to vote on. Right now, the law says that the description that appears on the ballot for any measure, like a constitutional amendment that the voters have to approve statewide, should be clear and concise. But I think anybody who has tried to read what's on the ballot knows that that is not what is happening in how these measures are being described. So what this bill would do is it would require that the language that's presented to the voters be no more complex than requiring an eighth grade reading level. And it would ensure that a set format is used for every measure so that the voters understand what a yes vote would mean and what a no vote would mean. And when we say that, it's not how will this change the law, but what impact would this have? So the question could be, shall New York have seven gambling casinos? The question could be, should New York permit no-fault absentee voting? So it's very clear what the voter is being asked to vote on. So for those examples that you gave, it is possible to write a clear and concise description of what the state is looking to either get authorization to do or a change to the state's constitution. But what about instances where the issue is kind of in the weeds, like if it has to do with redistricting, for example, and and tweaks to the redistricting process, which is a tough issue to wrap one's head around. So in that case, do we just need to dedicate a full page of the back of the ballot? Should there be an addendum? How do we wrap our heads around things like that? Even the most complex in the weeds concepts can be boiled down to a understandable level. You just need to spend some time and effort figuring out the simplest way to explain what the measure is trying to achieve. Because at the end of the day, all measures are trying to achieve something tangible. It's just that they're described badly. So this requirement really forces the Board of Elections and the AG, which has helped to draft these measures in the past, focus on what the voter needs to know, not what is the legal mechanism. And because of the bipartisan nature of the State Board of Elections, do you feel like there's enough checks and balances in the process of writing the ballot measures moving forward that they can also be fair and even-handed and not too one-sided? Absolutely. This bill would require that the Board of Elections provide the public with an opportunity to comment on proposed language. Um, But I would like to point out when you talk about the bipartisan nature of the Board of Elections, that this bill did just pass through the Senate Elections Committee on a bipartisan basis. Well, on that note, let's move to another bill that has to do with the rationale that people can give for accessing an absentee ballot, uh, you're looking to essentially 
continue some of the uh, excuses that have been utilized during the pandemic. Can you explain what's uh, the push there? Yeah, absolutely. So our constitution provides, our state constitution provides that there are certain justifications that you have to fall under to get an absentee ballot. Illness is a justification. So what this bill does is it continues something that the legislature put in place during the pandemic. It defines what illness is, and it includes the fear of becoming ill or making somebody ill as part of the definition of illness. It doesn't change our constitutional requirements for when and how you get a absentee ballot. It just does what the legislature is empowered to do. It defines one of the terms that's in the constitution. And this has been really helpful during the pandemic, but even after the pandemic, while we don't have the emergency of COVID-19. It's still out in the community. We have other illnesses that have surprisingly circulated in our state, like polio and measles in the near past. And you have people, the elderly, the immune compromised, who are very vulnerable to illness and are fearful in some instances. If you are a cancer survivor, or you are somebody who actually is under active chemotherapy or radiation treatment, you are told that your immune system is being suppressed and to avoid being exposed to illness. So people who have those reasonable justifications, a reasonable fear of becoming ill or somebody who suddenly has developed an infectious disease and wants to be able to vote, should be able to get an absentee ballot. You use the word reasonable there. So does that mean, let's say, a reasonably healthy radio host who's up to date on his immunizations and is generally uh, pretty healthy, couldn't uh, claim to be afraid of contracting polio from uh, his local polling place in Saratoga Springs and uh, therefore needs an absentee ballot? Our system really relies on the good faith of individuals. Nobody, at least recently, is checking when you check the box that says illness, you don't have a doctor who appears at your door. But that is our constitutional system. And this continuation of the definition is a reasonable approach to the realities of modern life. Well, turning to another bill, you're looking to address same-day voter registration as it pertains to early voting. Can you explain what you're looking for there? Yeah, absolutely. Last year, uh, the legislature, and we were very, very glad to see this, passed a bill which was signed by the governor at the end of the year, which moved the voter registration deadline from a statutorily required 25 days to the constitutionally mandated 10 days before an election. So you now can go and register to vote as close to the election as 10 days before the election. That also happens to be the first day of early voting. And in places that have set up a uniform same-day registration system, the procedure that you would follow to take advantage of same-day registration is provided to the voters. It's uniform across the state. And somebody who, for whatever reason, wants to go in and register and vote during that time period knows how to do it. 
So we have the ability for people to register 10 days before the election, the first day of early voting, but we don't have any guidance as to what mm. procedure the county should follow. So in my experience, that means that every board of elections is going might do it differently. Some might set up stations at early voting locations. Others might require people to go into the board of elections. The voters won't really know how to take advantage of what we call this golden day, which is the overlap between the last day of voter registration and the first day of early voting. So what this does is it gives guidance to the boards of election so that the procedure is the same across the state. And it takes advantage of the fact that all of the boards already use affidavit ballots. They're required to have affidavit ballots available at every polling place, which deals with the situation where a voter comes in and for whatever reason is not in the voter rolls, but the voter believes they're registered, so they are able to cast an affidavit ballot, which under federal law is called a provisional ballot. So what this law does is it says, hey, you're already doing affidavit ballots. You're already checking them after the election to find out if the person is an eligible voter, and if they're an eligible voter, you cast the ballot. If they're an eligible voter who hasn't registered, you register them and you put the ballot aside. This changes the procedure. Now, if the person is eligible, they came in on the first day of early voting, they filled out an affidavit ballot, the Board of Elections will determine, is this an eligible voter, just like they do for any voter registration? If the person is an eligible voter, they will be registered to vote and that affidavit ballot will be counted. So that is using an existing efficient system and ensuring that it will be available on a uniform basis to everybody on the first day of early voting. Well, finally, we recently heard from advocates for visually impaired New Yorkers, as well as members of the military serving overseas, and they're looking for uh, legislation that would mandate the state to create an online voting option for them so that they can participate remotely, independently, because they argue that the absentee ballot process that's reserved for them is not necessarily something they can do independently and therefore can't pass a secret ballot. And visually impaired New Yorkers who theoretically are in New York and could vote in person have a lot of obstacles. From your experience, what do you think about something like that, an online voting option for New Yorkers in these types of situations or more broadly for other New Yorkers? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it were safe to do that? But unfortunately, it's not. The internet is not a secure environment. And we know from the huge amount of fraud that occurs with online banking that it's not secure. So of course, everybody wants to encourage the maximum participation and certainly we believe that everything should be done reasonably to ensure that voters with physical challenges, disabled voters, have the maximum opportunity to vote independently and privately. But we also want to be sure that their vote will count. So it's really important to balance these factors. You can set up systems which are very convenient to use, but they're just vulnerable. And you can't be sure that the vote which is transmitted through the internet actually is not interfered with in some way, shape, or form. 
targeting can be very, very specific. We found out after the fact that the rideshare applications were targeting the telephones of politicians who they thought were opposing the use of the rideshare applications and keeping them from being able to request rides through their rideshare application. All of the federal security agencies and every academic who has looked at the question of internet voting has come to the conclusion that we want it, but we're not there yet. And so I hope that those who are advocating for a wholesale jump into internet voting understands that the factors have to be balanced. There are other things that we can do to help the folks who need independent assistance. And the problem usually is that people who have a computer and internet access at home don't have a printer. There are ways in which printers can be provided to folks to allow them to to vote independently, but have their votes go in on the most secure medium, which is paper, and ensure that they vote independently, but also ensure that their vote will be received and cast as they intend it. Well, we've been speaking with Susan Lerner. She's the executive director of Common Cause New York. Susan, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.